0: Thanks for listening to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm Monica Molinaro, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole Posnoff, hello, and Greg <laughs> Robinson, Hi. as well as our guest, Nicole Guitar. Oh. <laughs> so uh, to start, Nicole, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Um, so I am a PhD student at Western University. Um, I'm in a combined program in physical therapy, so it's a five-year program where I complete the requirements to be a physical therapist as well as do my PhD at the same time. I've been at Western for 11 years now because I also did my master's here in uh, behavioral cognitive neuroscience and then my undergrad in psychology, so a long-time Western veteran. Um,
2: Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, that's the first I've heard of a physical therapy program combined with a PhD. I've heard like MD combined mm-hmm. with a PhD, but that's really cool. What other types of programs do you know of that are, you can combine with PhD? So there
1: are actually lots of programs here in health and rehabilitation sciences, but it's the same concept as an MD-PhD. So MPT, PhD, that's for physical therapy. I know occupational therapy and speech language pathology, I believe audiology do the same kind of thing. I know that Western is kind of like ahead of the curve in terms of offering those kinds of programs. I know UBC does as well. And actually, I think that may be the only other program in Canada right now that offers those kinds of combined programs.
0: Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So why did you choose a PhD combined with PT instead of going the singular route for either? Right. So
1: doing it the singular route would add a year. So that's a factor uh, because you would do two years to become a physical therapist and then typically four for the PhD. So doing it in the combined way um, lets you kind of eliminate a year, but then it also compacts the program. So it makes it a little trickier. Um, But for me, the really important part was that you get that clinical training, clinical experience that really then informs what you're doing as a researcher. I mean, I would imagine it would be harder to, for me, if I didn't have that kind of clinical experience to really know like what's going to be relevant to a physical therapist in practice, like what kind of research questions do they want answered. Um, So that was like really attractive about the program for me.
2: So how long do you say the total program is? Five years. Oh, cool. It's it's structured
1: kind of at this point, they're kind of letting students kind of pick how they want it to be structured. But typically, it's structured in what they call um, a 2-2-1. So you get to do two years spent solely on your PhD um, and then two years in the clinical program with a year at the end for kind of wrapping everything up. That's how I've chosen to do it. So right now I'm at the end of my fourth year, which means I'm at the end of my um, physical therapy clinical part. So I have one more year left. Um, Some students choose to do like three years PhD and then the two clinical at the end. Um, But I think at this point, they're kind of letting students determine what's best for them.
0: Definitely. So in your case, how does your specific research, how do you think it's going to end up informing your practice if you wanted to talk about your research a little bit?
1: oh for sure so um i study um cognitive ability called executive function um or executive functioning um which is a pretty complicated concept actually um you might have heard it be referred to as like the control center of the brain things like that like in the prefrontal cortex the control center that kind of stuff um so really it's the uh higher order cognitive abilities that's responsible for self-regulation. So every like decision-making, planning, inhibition, all of those things, executive function contributes to. Um, So kind of like an easier way to think about it is um, when you get in your car, say you want to go to the grocery store without executive functioning, it would be very difficult for you to even know, okay, I have to put the key in, turn the key, put my foot on the brake, put the car into drive, and then to be able to execute the route you need to take to get to the store. So to have that planning and that foresight, um, that is really crucial for executive functioning. Actually, uh, in Ontario, for uh, older adults who are 80 years of age or older, they actually have to complete a test during their driver's license renewal that measures executive functioning, where they're asked to draw a clock. Um, so if you think if I asked you right now to draw me a clock um, with the time 10 minutes after 11, um, maybe you can tell me like how would, what was the, what's the first thing you would do?
0: I draw a circle. Right. <laughs> and and then, <laughs> circle. then what would you do? And then I draw, draw all the me. numbers and then I would draw the little hand. Did you say 10 after 11? Yes. Okay. So the little hand is pointing to the 11 and the big hand is pointing to the two.
2: Well, just a little bit after 11, right? Because it would have to be, it's moving the same time. Yeah, like a smidge. Yeah. And an important part of that test
1: too is like that planning process, like that which you just did, but also how you would draw the numbers. So most people would start with their circle and they would draw 12, 3, 6, and then 9 to create even spacing and then fill in the rest of the numbers. Someone who has executive dysfunction or poor executive functioning um, wouldn't be able to have that kind of foresight and that planning to space the numbers out, things like that. So you could end up seeing clocks that have like 12 and then all jammed into one spot, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Um, so that's interesting. So it's a, it's a cognitive ability that's actually really important for functional abilities out in the real world, like driving a car all those kinds of things. Um, And important to physical therapy is it's really related to um, falls and functional abilities in older adults because it is an ability that naturally will decline with age, but is also affected by age-related diseases.
2: I was wondering, so this is a lot of like brain stuff that is relating to the physical aspect of it, but how could you uh, maybe improve your ability, your cognitive ability, and how could that help your future physical abilities? Yeah. yeah. So um, that's a,
1: I like that question. That's really interesting because that's kind of like that kind of question is what brought me into this program in the first place. So I mentioned I was originally working in um, behavioral cognitive neuroscience. Um, and I was working with birds, actually, at Western's Advanced Facility for Avian Research and I was studying the process of neurogenesis, which is the production of new neurons in the brain. And I became interested in physical therapy by learning about how exercise can actually um, improve cognitive functioning by generating new neurons in the brain. So for like someone who is aging, um, exercise can actually produce new neurons in the brain, which can contribute to better overall cognitive functioning including executive functioning. Um, I also did uh, recently for my comprehensive exam I did a systematic review of exercise interventions to improve executive functioning in people who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's type dementia um, and the evidence there does show that exercise interventions kind of of any length because they varied a lot um, do improve executive functioning. And then that translates into their uh, functional abilities in everyday life.
0: Okay. Does it matter what type of exercise is being done in these exercise interventions?
1: So the answer is probably. um, Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we don't know yet. Um, So that's kind of like a remaining question as, so if I want to improve my executive functioning, what frequency of exercise do I do, what intensity, what type, and for how long. And that's not something we have an answer to. So in the review I did, it was they, we looked at um, aerobic exercises. So anything that's kind of increasing your heart rate um, by about 60% from its resting heart rate. That's kind of how we define aerobic. Um, those were successful. Um, But also interesting is just plain strength exercise. So just like weight training is also um, successful um, there. And I know that evidence has been shown pretty strongly from a researcher out in UBC um, who does a lot of like resistance, weight training um, related to executive functioning in older adult females. And that has been effective there. So that's kind of something that we're still working on.
2: Yeah, but that's probably pretty case dependent as well, right? Probably depends on like the how bad it is, or how much you've previously exercised. But you mentioned yeah. that you were studying birds. I wasn't aware that birds' cognitive abilities were... You could <laughs> compare that to humans. Tell me more about your studying birds experience. Yeah, so that was a very big part of my life for a
1: while. Um, At Western, like, we're really lucky to have that advanced facility for avian research, which is, um, kind of located behind Saugeen. So like a lot of people aren't even aware that it's there. Um, but it's like this multi-million-dollar facility and they've got like wind tunnels and all this amazing stuff, like many different species of birds. Um, I was working with black cap chickadees, which are the cute little ones that look like they're wearing black masks. Um. Uh, Because they have a really cool hippocampus, which is the area of our brain that's responsible for memory, memory retrieval, memory storage, that kind of stuff. Um, So theirs is very similar to humans. So they can kind of be used as like an animal model for human memory. Um, And their memory is really impressive because they, um, what's it called when the birds fly south for the winter? (laughs) They
0: migrate?
1: Uh, Migrate. Black-capped chickpeas don't migrate. In the winter, they stay. Um, So over the course of the fall, they will store thousands and thousands of pieces of food. And then over the course of the winter, be able to remember where they've stored all that food to retrieve it. So they're really cool um, animals to use and kind of memory research because you know that they can do this unique thing. Um, So when I was there, it's funny. I was actually trying to stunt their memory a little bit. So I was using a particular drug to decrease that production of new neurons in their brain, which is kind of the opposite of what exercise would do, um, to see if I, if I could kind of mess up their memory a little bit, um, which actually ended up being really important because we learned a lot about what like, the function of having new neurons being produced in your brain, how essential that is to memory. Uh, but yeah, that kind of led me to be like, let's kind of see the opposite. I actually had a brief period of time where I was like, can we exercise a bird? (laughs) Um, and I know some of my lab mates like tried to put the black cap chickadees in the wind tunnel and it was like, Oh, we'll get you to fly. That'll be like exercise. And then we can see if, you know, new neurons were produced in your brain. They didn't like that so much though. They kind of just like sat on the floor. (laughs) And, like, let their hair blow in the wind. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's funny. What's no. the hardest part about working with a bird? Um, the hardest part? I mean, or I guess at, what's the easiest? Because <laughs> so it's all hard, funny. I don't know.
1: <laughs> when I made the switch, I was like, I'm excited to work with humans. Like, I need some interaction here. And then now, sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I could just have you be there when I want you to be there. And like, it was all just around my schedule. Like, so that was like the easiest part I think was like, it was all whenever I (laughs) kind of wanted to do it, they would be there. Uh, (laughs) I kind of miss that a little bit.
0: So now when it comes to, I'm kind of shifting focus to the PT bit. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this will definitely inform your practice? Like, is this something that you can specialize in? Is this something that you want to specialize Mm in?
1: Yeah, so um, more recently, actually, I did um, a survey of Canadian physiotherapists and physiotherapy students to kind of understand, you know, do they know what executive functioning is? Do they know that it's relevant? Do they know how to measure it? Um. Because it's so highly related to functional abilities, especially in older adults, which is kind of like one of our main goals as a physio to maintain mobility and functional independence. Um, so it's highly relevant to our work, particularly if you have a patient come in and you want to achieve a goal with them, and maybe your outcomes aren't really um, progressing as you'd imagined. It might be because there's some kind of deficit in executive functioning that maybe you need to take into account. So For maybe physios that aren't aware that this is something that could be influencing their patients' outcomes, it's really important. Um, The results of that survey um, are very interesting, so I'm working on publishing that right now, but turns out uh, about between 90 to 95% of physios um, agree that it's important and that it's relevant to their patient outcomes, but less than 20% of them said that they felt confident they could assess it. Um, so that's very interesting. So for me moving forward, I'm, I want to address that, like, how can we kind of like bridge that gap, um, so that they understand that this is really important clinically.
0: Definitely. Have you done any of that brainstorming so far as to what may help bridge the gap or what you would like to see to bridge the gap?
1: So my idea so far is to, so these ideas have changed a lot as we saw (laughs) the COVID. (laughs) Um, So things that initially were intended are kind of having to be adjusted. But at this point, I would kind of like to run a bit of a workshop training session with some physios more like a focus group style um, to see like, what is the most effective way to convey this knowledge to you? Um, Kind of measure like before and after, what did you find is helpful? Have you noticed in the last couple of months that it was actually relevant to any patients you had? Because that was another response I got on the survey too. A lot of people were like, this, does, this doesn't matter with the patients I see, um, which I think is probably a big, broad swoop of the brush. And I think that it's probably relevant to a lot more patients than people realize. For
2: sure. So-
0: You go ahead, Nicole. I
2: know you have a question. Uh, I I didn't want to change the topic, but I was just interested. So what is in your future right now? So like you're saying you're uh, one more year until you finish. uh, And then what's your next step after that? Yeah. So um,
1: like I said, with the structure of the combined program right now, I'm supposed to be finishing up that clinical portion of the program. And then starting in September, supposed to have a one kind of year left to wrap everything up. Because of COVID, it hasn't totally worked out that way. Um, so I'm still working on fulfilling some of like, my placement requirements. Um, you need to have at least 1,025 hours of um, direct patient care experience in Canada to be eligible to write the licensing exam. Um, and so that's kind of been a barrier. Actually, I think May 16th, we were supposed to start a placement, like the day after the state of emergency was declared. And so that's all kind of been postponed. So right now, it's kind of looking like I'm going to finish up the clinical side of my program around November. And then hopefully, I'm going to be defending in August of 2021.
2: Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers <laughs> crossed luck. for sure. Thanks.
0: <laughs> what I was going to ask in a If the pandemic was not happening, if things were kind of continuing as they were pre-pandemic, what kind of study would you want to do or what were you planning to do to kind of bring this all together and bridge some of those gaps?
1: So um, one of my ideas was specifically around the relationship between executive dysfunction and falls in older adults. So our population is aging rapidly right now. Um, so we're going to be outnumbered by people who are 65 years or older, vastly. Um, and one of the largest issues or concerns in that population is falls. And then specifically the injuries they sustain from falls and the healthcare costs that causes the long-term outcomes, such as having to go to long-term care, things like that. Um, so because, you know, we're going to have so many older adults soon, um, I was like well let's folk, let's do a, a study kind of deep dive into that kind of relationship. So the interesting thing about balance and falls is that balance has many many components so for example, um, right now I'm sitting, so I'm maintaining static balance. If I reach to the side, then you know that is a different kind of balance, so I'm moving also being able to um, stand on different kinds of surfaces, if it's a hard surface, if it's a soft surface. So kind of when you break all that down, there's about eight different kinds of components that contribute to balance. So I wanted to know, are any of those specifically related to executive dysfunction? So that when an older adult comes to me and I know they have executive dysfunction because I've measured it and I know they're falling because they're telling me that, and what can I do to Help prevent them from falling. So I know from my experience, which is pretty minimal based on clinical placements, when someone comes in and they like have a balance problem or they've been falling, we do very generic kind of balance training with them, which I've always thought was kind of strange because we know there's all these different kinds of components. So we do a lot of static balance training, like stand here without having any support, and then maybe you do that on one leg but maybe that's not the deficit that they're having. Like maybe static balance is fine for them. Maybe it's more dynamic or when they're having to have a conversation while they're walking. Um, so being able to target what kind of deficit is causing your falling or your balance impairments and then what relationship does that have with executive dysfunction? So that was kind of where I wanted to go. Um, at this time, not feasible really to ha- work with a vulnerable population like that. Um, but I'm definitely got that kind of on the back burner as like a, an idea for a postdoc or something like that.
0: Definitely. So then moving into the future, do you see it as like your PT experience is going to inform your research or your research <laughs> is going to inform your practical experience, or how does that end up working slash what do you want to do?
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna just go ideal world here because you know we dream big. Um, I want to have a beautiful tenure track position somewhere, um, and I want to continue to work clinically. I see in my future that kind of fizzling out, like the clinical work kind of slowing down more as I would increase the research side. But I think it's really important for me kind of first out of graduation to like maintain those clinical skills um, to make sure that I still know what I'm talking about when I'm saying like this is what would be pragmatic for a clinician in practice. Um, I would love to have like a research program um, that's kind of focused around like aging and mobility um, for older adults just because there are going to be so many older adults um, coming up in the future and they're going to need our help to be able to maintain their independence
2: and would you consider staying at western for that postdoc or are you finally get me (laughs) out of here i need something different in my life i think it's time um i think it's time i know
1: monica tells me it's not so scary (laughs) to go somewhere (laughs) else um yeah i don't know i I hear that that doesn't look so great either (laughs) staying at the same place forever. I am flexible. I am open. It's just, it's always just kind of worked out to be Western. But yeah, I think for this next step, I would definitely aim to kind of get out of the Western bubble a little bit.
2: (laughs) I mean, it's a great university, but you definitely, I think it's good to stem out a little bit and try different
0: things. (laughs) Do you think that research you'd end up collaborating with some of the individuals that you've already mentioned in the podcast, or do you think that would go? into different areas that maybe you haven't mentioned yet before.
1: Um so actually um there is a researcher at UBC. Her name is uh Dr. Teresa Louis Ambrose. Um she's actually the researcher who did the studies with the strength training um and the older adult females and found that that made significant differences to their cognition. Um I feel like it would, she's pretty prominent in this kind of field and that would like collaborating there would be kind of like the dream. So, um, definitely like sticking along this line because I feel like it's still something like physios are like, what does executive functioning have to do with my patients and my treatment? Um, and I feel like there's still like a lot of work to be done, like a lot of knowledge translation still to make there. Definitely.
2: And if you had any advice for, like, us younger generation to maybe preventatively prevent stuff like that, like, is there anything we can do now? Actually, um, yeah. So the number one thing
1: is exercise. Um, And again, because it it seems like every kind of exercise is kind of doing something good there. Um, That would be the number one. Um, And that's not just because... It stimulates neurogenesis and new neuron production. Also, all kinds of other like hormonal effects as well as like circulatory effects, um, like just oxygen flow, things like that, that are helpful to your brain. Um, So that is very helpful. There's a really good TED talk, actually, that's like, what can I do now? to? I think she says like prevent Alzheimer's kind of thing, which I think is a pretty hefty statement, but. Uh, Since that has such a strong genetic component, you can't really exercise away your genes. But um, it's a really good talk where she just talks about little things you can do, like parking your car at the back of the parking lot and walking a little farther. Just increases that physical activity, which actually has really good protective effects on the brain. So it's it's something that's like at the beginning, I was like, wow, I'm a total hypocrite. Like I need to exercise more. Like this is what I'm researching. I'm like, how can I how can I not be exercising more?
0: (laughs) That's good to know. We'll definitely link that in the episode bio for this as well, just so everybody can watch it. But as we start to wrap up, is there a way that listeners can get in contact with you? Or is there anything that you might also think is interesting for them to read or watch or listen to?
1: Um, So people can get in contact with me um, through email. So My last name is guitar, like the instrument. Um, So it's just nguitar at uw.ca. And then I'm also on Twitter. It's at Nicole and Anne. So I guess we can link that there. So I don't need to spell it out for you. Um, And then we can uh, definitely attach those videos because I think they give you like pretty simple steps of like what you can do or even like encourage your parents to do because there's also evidence to suggest that like between the... The years of like 35 to 45 is kind of when you really want to be paying attention to that stuff. Um, So like getting your parents to park at the back of the parking lot might be
0: a good idea. It sounds like we need to get started too. Right? I know. (laughs) Like when I grocery shop from now on, I can't like park close to the front or like do, well, maybe later on, like not do the online delivery bit anymore
1: right now it's okay
0: yeah <laughs> right now we can all forgive ourselves i yes. think we'll be okay Global um, pandemic yeah it's fine in a pandemic it's fine um okay so with that then we are going to wrap this up Thanks so much, Nicole, for coming on the podcast. That was like awesome. Um, so, I'm Monica Molinero. Today I was joined by co hosts Nicole Poznoff and Greg Robinson and our guest Nicole Guitar. Thanks so much for listening to Gradcast, the official podcast and radio show of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. You can find us at gradcastradio.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Gradcast Radio.